Here we are, Locked On NFL Tuesday edition. Brian Peacock here alongside Matt Williamson, taking you around the league here on the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one local daily sports podcast network. You can subscribe to this show and all of your favorite podcast apps. You can find me on Twitter at BD Peacock. Follow Matt at Williamson NFL. Today we're getting into the primetime games. We are going to recap what happened Sunday night, Monday night football, both Monday night football games. And there was one game in particular that was uh, just fantastic and a fun ending to that Texans and New Orleans Saints contest. We're not going to start there, though. I think we should start with the team that Matt is most locked into, and I really want to cover this. It was uh, it was a rough it was a rough go for the Steelers on <laughs> yeah. Sunday night, thirty three to three Patriots over the Steelers. Yeah, and we've seen this script before. I mean, Brady's never lost to the Steelers in Foxborough, um, and it was a dominant performance. And both sides of the ball. I mean, I thought the Steelers' defense, and it still might be would be vastly improved, vastly more athletic, especially in the middle of the field. But that's exactly where Brady often attacked, you know, play action, crossing route, boom. And I, I thought Brady started the game a little bit slow, you know, just with his a little bit of rust, you know, he wasn't throwing the ball great the first series or two, but then was dialed in from that point on, knew exactly what the Steelers were doing. Uh, I think he knew where he was going with the football most of the time before he, the ball was ever snapped. And just nickled and dimed him to death, and then he manipulated a safety and you know, a big play or two. It was over really before it started. And then the other side of the ball, boy, the Patriots' defense is really good, and it all started for secondary. You know, a lot of man coverage. We saw Gilmore following Juju very effectively. Um, pass rush isn't as big a deal with the Patriots, but it's locked down. Play the ball in the air at the catch point. Very, very impressive, and the Steelers have a lot of work to do. The classic Patriots offense, too. It was just everybody involved, all of their running backs. It's Man, and, and we talk a lot about the fantasy football angle, and it's like, okay, who do you own? Sonny Michelle, is he really going to be the guy, and he's going to get all the touches? And it's like, no, he's not. It, it never happens that way. Rex Burkhead, James White involved heavily. And in the passing game, Josh Gordon, a nice, solid week one, three receptions, 73 yards. He had the 44-yarder, uh, looking like the monster that he is. No Gronk, no problem. We just won't target tight ends. We'll target all these other guys more. And then, of course, you add Antonio Brown to this situation. And we ta- have to talk about that and how that's going to work into this New England Patriots offense. And they don't need him. That's what's crazy about this. Is right. You watch someone like Philip Dorsett had 95 yards, a pair of touchdowns, and he was showing off his speed, and he really hadn't been able to get his career really going at all. And uh, now he's in New England and at least a little bit of a part of this offense, and you got to believe that maybe that's the spot that Antonio Brown would have been plugged into. And if the guy there is Philip Dorsett and he's already scoring a pair of touchdowns in the opener, now you add uh, – Antonio Brown into that, it's right. it's it's kind of scary what that offense could do, but at the same time, it's unnecessary. So my question to you and you being around Brown and around the Steelers and knowing that situation and seeing everything we've gone through in this uh, preseason with Antonio Brown, I, I think there's an opportunity that this actually hurts the Patriots because obviously they don't need Antonio Brown right now. They're rolling. They're rolling, and they look awesome. Usually they start the season a little slow, clearly not the case. Um, you know, leading up to that game, I was a lot of talk of, boy, their weapons aren't that impressive. It doesn't matter. You know, I mean, it's scheme. It's Brady. 
Um, and when I got the news that AB was going to New England, a couple things dawned on me. And uh, I think it was Mike Tarico on the show said, or on the broadcast that said, AB finally got the destination he wanted. You know, when he was here in Pittsburgh, he wanted to go to the Patriots. By no means were the Steelers trading him to New England. So it was almost like he had a layover in Oakland to finally get to his vacation spot. And uh, my immediate thought was, He's going to play nice, at least for a while. He's going to be thrilled to be there. We've seen Malcontents go there before. They'll use him extremely well. I mean, as a player, there's a good article actually on ESPN.com today about talking about how he struggles this past year to get off press. I I half am on board with that. I mostly think that he is still a a receiver basically without weakness, can play inside, outside. They'll move them all over. They'll give them bubble screens. They'll throw them deep. They'll, they'll, you know, outroute you to death with them. And I immediately thought, wow, the Patriots might go 15-1 and this year when I saw that. And then I made a joke on Twitter. And then they'll coax Rob Gronkowski out of retirement around Halloween and just really (laughs) completed and just beat everybody by 50, you know. Um, But when I – Discussed this yesterday on my Steeler radio show with Dale Lawley, who knows Antonio much better than me. He's a beat reporter here. He had two things that I thought, well, I had won and he had won. And my concern was that's a difficult offense to learn. You know, we've seen Chad Johnson and rookie receivers and a lot of new receivers to that passing game struggle. And absolutely you need to do your job. You need to be where Tom needs you to be. And even AB knowing the Steelers offense, he was somewhat of a freelance artist, which worked well with Ben's style of play. It won't work well with Brady's style of play. So on the field, Brown's going to have to do his job, toe the line. But what Dale was saying, my co-host was, he's like, I don't dislike AB. I know him pretty well. This guy can't be on time for anything. <laughs> the way the way he's wired, the selfish nature, the way he gets distracted. If he's working out, he'll be there an extra hour, and people, you know, blow people off. You know, my buddy Dale used to have a radio show with AB. He was never on time. He he cited example after example of this guy is never going to be at the meeting on time, or so maybe fifty percent of the time. And that ain't going to fly, man. And like you said, they don't need them. I mean, they hold the cards of, hey, if you're a distraction, if you're walking in late, if you're not doing what you're told, we just whip the Steelers, who you know really well, without you. We'll whip everybody else without you. So I think it could work out, and it could be a Moss-like effect, but only if he gets his stuff straight. When it comes to meetings and being late and Bill Belichick, being late 50% of the time, let alone being late, I mean, one time, that's not going to fly at all with Bill Belichick. I want to talk Steelers just for a moment there because obviously they ran into a buzzsaw week one, a little worry about the Steelers. I mean, we're not going to talk about a team that potentially is on that back slope because I know you got an older quarterback in Pittsburgh with Ben Roethlisberger, uh, some young players on the roster that I really like. I would have thought that this team was would come out a little bit stronger. And of course, week one, things will be much different, I'm sure, next week. But a little worry there in Pittsburgh? Oh, for sure. I mean, the sky is falling for for Steeler Nation, that's for sure. <laughs> I mean, there were high hopes. That everything was going really well leading into the opener. And then, wow, a lead, you know, lead balloon hits. 
I'm more worried about the offense than the defense, but I do keep telling Steeler Nation, folks, this is probably the, the toughest test of the year. I mean, you go into the Super Bowl champs home when they're raising banners and, you know, all those things. It's like opening night, Thursday night type of deal in most years. Nobody wins there, and the Steelers always get killed against the, the Patriots in their building. So I do think it gets better. I'll probably pick them to beat Seattle this week in Pittsburgh. But the offense, there was a, a – I mean, I could go into a long, long diatribe, and people don't want to hear tons of Steelers stuff. But there were certainly some worry, worrisome things. Didn't love their personnel usage. Thought they got cute. Didn't think they were aggressive enough from a coaching perspective. And the offense needs to kind of change the way it plays without Brown on the field. And I didn't see enough of that. Yeah, we'll see if we can get that Steelers offense into the end zone in week two. 33-3, Patriots over the Steelers. Let's move on to those Monday night football contests. Let's start with Texans at Saints. Folks, it is a new season. The only thing that hasn't changed where I'm putting my money down on all the games. MyBookie is the only place to bet on football every weekend. MyBookie has better bonuses and more prop bets than any other sports book, period. This year, they're hosting the first online handicapping super contest. First place is guaranteed to win at least $100,000, and it only costs 100 bucks to enter. All you got to do is pick five NFL games against the spread every week to climb the leaderboard and score your share of the huge cash prize pool. So, folks, I would only recommend a service to my listeners that's been good to me, and absolutely my bookie fits that mold. My bookie has live in-game betting on every NFL game. They've got the most rewarding player perks in the business for you and your fantasy guys out there. You can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score in each game. I love that feature, by the way. Up to $1,000 first deposit bonus. You double your first deposit. Use our promo code Locked On to activate the offer. Visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use our promo code Locked On when creating your, your claim when you're creating your account to claim the bonus. Again, that's Locked On. Two words, Locked On. Bet, win, get paid. So the early Monday nighter. The Houston Texans rolled into New Orleans. Fantastic game. And the Texans jumped out to that early lead in the first half. Saints come thundering back. And then, of course, it was just madness in that last minute of the game. And you thought that they did it. Deshaun Watson and the newcomer. And, hey, I got to give you credit. You were like, hey, uh, the the trade there, the Laramie Tunsil trade, Kenny yeah. Stills is a nice little throw-in on that. And it's not quite the... It's not quite two firsts and a second for Kenny Stills and then a Larry Matunzel throw in, which you might think if you watch that game. <laughs> right. uh, but uh, that was uh, such a fantastic finish. And Deshaun Watson, first of all, I just want to say this. Deshaun Watson throws maybe the prettiest ball in the league. Boy, he looked great. And I think his back was bugging him much, much more than any of us realize or he would let on. This guy is a warrior. He plays hurt. He's really developing the finer points of quarterbacking. He's been more and more accurate. He's a superstar in the making and very, very impressive. Um, I want to backtrack just a second because you mentioned Stills and Tunsil. And I wrote going into this, hey, Tunsil's probably going to have a rough debut in a Texans uniform. I mean, kind of like I talked about the Steelers. You go to New Orleans, your first day with the team, not first day, but first game with the team, learning all their different protections, the continuity with your guard to your right. I mean, it's so loud. Their pass rushers are pretty good. 
and Tunso looked like he was swimming, you know, so it'll get better. I mean, he, he's going to be a really good player. Once he gets comfortable, he's just not comfortable. And like you mentioned, Stills is more than a throw-in. You know, I mean, Stills is a quality dude, especially with QT and Fuller's injury history. This offense, the passing, and, and Carlos Hyde didn't look bad either. I've been kind of a Carlos Hyde truther for a while. But this passing game with Duke, four big-time receivers that can attack all levels, led by Hopkins, and we talked about Watson. I don't want to say they're this year's Chiefs, but they're kind of in that mold. You know, like, it's going to be a roller coaster every week with a lot of points. Fun team. Drew Brees, Alvin Kamara, that offense. The the reason I picked, and I picked the New Orleans Saints to win the Super Bowl this year. And, by the way, my my prediction of Saints over the Patriots and the double walk-off retirement of Brees and (laughs) Brady, I think the Antonio Brown thing just made that, prediction a little bit stronger as silly as that prediction was and uh, as much of a joke as that was uh, that's even not you know not impossible see how worn down Brady is now in February of 2020 but speaking of of Drew Brees and he's just a machine out there and he's not you can tell he doesn't sling it like like he used to when he was a little bit younger and he did make some you know some week one early season mistakes in that one but uh, that was just so fun to watch the old the old guy quarterback and Drew Brees on one side, and then Deshaun Watson, who's the warrior. Who uh, I was, I might have been a little bit too low on Deshaun Watson coming out of the draft, actually, because and I had him in in my top tier of players uh, coming out in 2017. And the the thing that I'm saying that I had him too low is that he just in college it was one of those things where I was like, okay, is this an AJ McCarron situation where? And obviously I had him way higher than AJ McCarron because I had. Uh, Watson as a very high draft pick, but I should have had him as you know number oh, number one overall contender, maybe right behind Miles Garrett, if that. You know, there was just in college, it was like, man, does he have the fastball? He doesn't really throw ball velocities. Maybe not there. Is it an AJ McCarron situation where his team is so good that it makes him look that much better? And I wasn't sure. And I was like, I like Trubisky here, and I think I had maybe a, a mid first round grade on Patrick Mahomes. The arm talent there was just wow, but so many other factors to, you know, the offense he was in. It was it was a tough evaluation. I understand why NFL evaluators and people didn't have, you know, number one overall grades on Mahomes, despite that obvious arm talent. There's obviously a lot of hindsight now when it comes to past drafts, but Deshaun Watson should have been the guy. And a lot of teams passed on him and he ended up being the number three quarterback taken in that draft. And I think maybe for a lot of the same reasons, teams were just not quite 100% sure. But when you see him play in the NFL, see how beautiful that ball is, see how he trusts his his playmakers on the outside. And it's really easy to trust a guy when he his name is DeAndre Hopkins and can pull down balls like Hopkins does with those ridiculous hands. And there was that one play with Hopkins, by the way, where he, he caught the ball on the sideline and he just rolls over out of bounds onto the ground with the ball in one hand, not worried at all that that's going to, you know, fall out of his hand and they'll they'll talk about <laughs> right. going to the ground and keeping control of the ball. He just got the ball in one hand. Big, strong mitts, and DeAndre, DeAndre Hopkins is crazy. But um, back to Watson, basically, bottom line is I was too low on him coming out of the draft. Even though I had him in the top tier of players in that year, one of my top four guys, he should have been obviously over Trubisky, and I think teams maybe overthink things sometimes because he's just a winner. He's a warrior, throws a beautiful ball, and... It's we're we're seeing a really nice player for Houston, and I hope that back injury doesn't really hamper him for the rest of the year. Fun matchup with Watson and Breeze in Week One. Yeah, absolutely. And you said a lot there. And you know, you and I haven't been doing this a long time together, but my long-term listeners probably are like, you know what, Williamson was really low on Deshaun Watson. 
because I bring it up and I don't hide from it. I, I, to my credit, I had my homes number one. So let's not forget that folks. I was pretty darn high on my homes and he's worked <laughs> out. But uh, for a lot of the reasons you said his fastball worried me and to compound that he put the ball in harm's way a lot at Clemson, very interceptable passes that I thought, boy, he's going to throw pick sixes left and right. And boy, he's gotten better and better. I couldn't have been more wrong. I love the toughness, the leadership, the athleticism. He's such a better passer than I thought. Again, star in the making. Um, I still like Mahomes a little better, folks. But um, no, last note, too, on the Saints, too. Breeze was a blast to watch. I really like his weapons, spreading the ball around. But Kamara might even be better than he was last year. I mean, he is a remarkable player with remarkable balance. And... Um, I know we'll take some Twitter questions here over the course of the week, but one Twitter question I got last night, and I always talk about this, like running backs are great guitar players. Like if I hear three chords of Eric Clapton or Jimi Hendrix, I'm like, that's, that's Clapton, that's Hendrix. And I always say, if you put every running, all the great running backs in history in those ugly Penn state, all white jerseys. I would say, oh, that's Jim Brown. Oh, that's Walter Payton, you know, with no numbers, no names uh-huh. on the back. And Kamara fits that bill. And he is very unique in his running style and a remarkable football player and receiver. He is so smooth. And I think the yeah. remarkable thing about balance. him is that, yeah, that that vision and balance mix and the way he, because he's not the biggest running back and you think, oh, maybe he needs to be a part-time player. And some almost in the way of Chris Johnson when he was younger and he was, running for 2,000 yards, it's like he's never taking that shot. He's always in the hole. He's always in the place where the the, the defenders aren't, and he's not uh, taking hits like another battering ram type of running back might be. So I don't think the injury worries should even be there, even if he has a huge load to carry, and they protect him pretty well, and they get him the ball in space too uh, in the receiving game, and he's just so natural and so smooth, and actually Breeze just kind of missed him on one. He could have had a long touchdown catch in that one. As well, he wasn't able to corral it, but Alvin Kamara is just game, yeah, such wow. a fun game and in back and forth and the way that thing ended and then the long field goal and coming back and and the Saints having a chance to win it at home was was huge and so fun to watch. But we've got to move on to the late game now. Talk a little bit of Raiders Broncos. Matt, it must have been around midnight Eastern when the late game Raiders and Broncos were getting going for the second half. And I was thinking, oh no, I don't know if Matt's going to even watch the end of this game. So I got to watch intently uh, in the second half. Well because... enough, dude. I'm in. <laughs> okay, good, <laughs> good, good. Yes, yeah, same here, man. If these, see, I w- my normal clock is an East Coast clock. I wish that football games were played on an East Coast time because I love watching football at midnight. I think that's amazing. I love it when there's like these late West Coast baseball games that go into like 18 innings. I'm like, oh, cool. I didn't watch the first nine, but I'll watch fi- inning number 15. This is awesome. And so, um, yeah, and 10 a.m. is like, come on, this is breakfast time. This isn't time for football games to start. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm the so, same way. Yeah, exactly. I would never turn a game off. <laughs> but it is kind of nice sometimes. I remember when I was younger and in college and stuff, I would literally just be in bed and be like, oh, let's start watching football, I guess. It's 10 a.m. I'm just going to sleep through the first half of this game and maybe get up around noon and get ready for that Niners game that kicks off at, at 1 p.m. But <laughs> Raiders. So to me. I can't imagine that. But yeah. <laughs> Raiders, Broncos. A lot of takeaways actually from this game for me, even though it was a little bit of a stinker of a game. But I think from the Raiders standpoint, maybe a little bit of a rallying point for them with the whole A-B stuff that happened and the guys that were left and the guys that were there. And you hear Derek Carr talk about it after the game. I mean, he was 22 of 26. Uh, He was accurate. 
He was throwing the ball at all levels of the field, which I loved to see playing with a little confidence, almost with a little bit of edge, which maybe Derek Carr needed. Maybe this team needed that going into the season to be like, okay, the guys that made it through this, now we're all together. And at some point might have might have uh, solidified things there under John Gruden and and been like, okay, now it's us against the world a little bit for Oakland. And it looked like they, they, they played that way, beating the Broncos 24-16. Yeah, I didn't see this one coming. And part of me kind of kicked myself early in the game going, don't forget divisional games at home, a mm-hmm. lot of emotion. The black hole's a nasty place to play, and it, it's, a, it's certainly a home field advantage for the Raiders. That crowd was lathered up. Uh, just while I remember it, I sure hope Gary and Conley's all right. I think he's, I mean, his reports are good today. Yes. But boy, I think he's got a really bright future and is a really good player. And so uh, uh, that that aside, I hope he's fine, of course. But man, I, Carr was on target. He said, playing with the motion. He throws the ball really well. And I think people forget that because he's easy to criticize over these last couple of years. But when he's humming and has time, he can deliver the football extremely well. We saw that. Really liked what I saw from Josh Jacobs, too. I don't want to com- compare him to Kamara, who we talked about earlier, but I think he's in that mold. Um, and the last real note here is, I mean, I thought that the Broncos would pound the ball, pound the ball, play great defense, win this game 16-7, to you know, and just kind of control it from the start. And when they get behind, they're in trouble, first of all. And I know Gruden's a big personality, and we remember him on Monday Night Football and hard knocks, but he showed me late last year, that last six to eight, or, you know, four to six game stretch to finish the season, that he still knows how to coach football, you know, that he schemed up offense quite well. The game has not passed him by, and now they're starting to build more around Gruden and what he wants, that he's a pretty good offensive mind still. Yeah, and uh, with Derek Carr, it's, his arm has always been good, and I liked Derek Carr coming out of college. I thought it was a great pick in the second round. I thought it was a perfect spot for him as far as uh, talent-wise and, and where he went in the draft. And he's better at that intermediate throw, and he can really zip it in there, and he's got some accuracy. And he always – I remember because watching him at Fresno State, and he would he would miss um, – he would miss Devontae Adams was his wide receiver there, and they right, had they right. put up huge numbers. But there was a lot of screens and stuff, and when they tried to go deep, I felt like he would miss – Adams by like 10 yards too long every time. And I was thinking, well, he put it out there and he didn't throw it to the other team. So that's good. Is Devontae Adams slow? And I was just, I was like, what's going on here? Why is he missing deep so much? So that's like the one throw that I think Derek Carr might've been able to get a little bit better at in the NFL. And he definitely has, but he can zip that intermediate throw in there. And in Gruden's offense, I think they dialed up a ton of those. And I think that's the perfect fit there for the style that Derek Carr is. And then you mentioned Josh Jacobs. Yeah. I want to double up on that because I talked about Kamara and how it seems like he's never taking big hits and he's always in space and so smooth. And Josh Jacobs is kind of the opposite where he's just this powerful guy and he is explosive and he's got this burst. But I would, even though he's built like a rock, I would predict Josh Jacobs to get hurt well before Kamara with the same workload just because of the hits he takes. And that's sort of just stylistically how different those guys are. But Josh Jacobs, I love seeing him go over the top for a touchdown. He can catch the ball out of the backfield and like you predicted, Josh Jacobs, he's a guy to own in fantasy football because not only is he super talented, John Gruden loves going with that one back and giving that one back the workload. Yeah, yeah, and I think he's going to have a really good year. Their line held up better than I expected. I didn't see it coming. I'm kind of kicking myself that I didn't give the Raiders enough credit. I kind of thought 
boy, they're going to show that they're a bottom three team, you know, maybe picking second, third, fourth overall in the draft. And that might still happen. But Raiders fans, I give you guys credit. That was an impressive performance from start to finish. So there was the whole Antonio Brown fiasco in Oakland. There was another wide receiver that bounced on and off the roster, and that was undrafted rookie Keelan Doss. He wasn't playing in this game because the the Raiders had just signed him Monday off of the Jacksonville Jaguars practice squad, which they which they tried to do earlier uh, in the week. And Jacksonville said, okay, no, we're going to give Keelan Doss, and if you guys watched Hard Knocks, you'll remember Keelan Doss. He was an uh, undrafted yep. free agent wide receiver, and I think he should have been drafted, and I thought the Raiders were crazy for cutting him at the end of training camp. Uh, UC Davis player, which is the city I live in now in Davis, so maybe a little bit of a... Uh, you Good know, college career, though, too. Yeah, oh, insanely Very, productive. Yeah. He was awesome in the in the uh, the postseason All-Star games at the Senior Bowl. He was good. I thought he definitely should have been drafted. It was such a deep draft class. We talked about uh, Kelvin Harmon yesterday or last week going into um, – or was that yesterday? Yeah, going yeah. Uh, in the in the sixth round, which was stupid. So just a really deep wide receiver class, I think, pushed someone like Keelan Doss out. But the Raiders liked him enough. They wanted to sign him to the practice squad. And he said, no, nah, I'm going to go sign him with the Jacksonville practice squad if, if you guys are going to cut me. And then they tried to sign him off the squad once Antonio Brown left. Jaguar said, you know what? Hey, Keelan, if you stay, we will guarantee your your rookie salary at the veteran minimum for this year. And he's like, okay, cool, I'll stay. And then, Not so bad, yeah. yeah. And then the Raiders <laughs> came back again after that. It was like, okay, we'll give you an extra bonus of another, I think it was $300,000, and guarantee your rookie contract and put you on the real roster here in Oakland. Because uh, he's from Alameda, which is, you know, he's a hometown kid for the Oakland Raiders. That was the team he grew up watching in and Keelan Doss at the end is like, okay, let's do that. So now back on the Raiders is Keelan Doss. We might see him suit up next week. But I thought, I thought that was an interesting story uh, when that kind of goes along with the Antonio Brown storyline with, with the Oakland Raiders. But, uh, Matt, I do want to talk about the Denver Broncos a little bit more. And I think I got a little bit teased. And you, just another reminder, this is week one. Things can change. Just like how you, you don't want to over evaluate what you see in the preseason. I saw the 49ers and Broncos play in the preseason. And I thought, oh, Flacco looked okay. Maybe he's going to have a little yeah. resurrection here in Denver. Good defense. Um, and I know you're not big on Flacco, and you thought he was pretty much done. And he looked more like the done quarterback in this one than the guy that I thought, I might have a little resurrection. So uh, maybe a little stock down for Joe Flacco after watching this one. Yeah, and my expectations for him were very low. And so they kind of met where I was at on him, and uh, I think they have to – as much as any team in the league, I guess Jacksonville's probably even worse, but they have to – there's a formula that the the, the Broncos are going to have to play to be competitive, and that's low scoring, grind it out, don't play real fast, you know, slower tempo. Miller and Chubb need to make a lot of plays, and I do think that defense will be even better than we saw last night. Flacco has us to be a facilitator, you know I mean? Don't throw picks and run the ball and guys like Fant and Sutton need to step up. And that's just a lot of ifs. Yeah. A lot of ifs in Denver. Uh, the running game was pretty much exactly split. 10 carries for Royce Freeman, 11 carries for Philip Lindsay for those fantasy guys. If you're trying to figure out what's going on there, that's going to be uh, probably a backfield to avoid unless one of those guys gets hurt. Cause it's just hard to, say what's going to happen there. And I don't know if they're going to put up enough points to be really valuable. Cortland Sutton might be the guy to own on that offense. Seven catches, 120 yards. He looked good making plays yeah. down the field. Emmanuel Sanders, amazing return from his Achilles injury. I can't believe he's already on the field and playing at the high level that he is. He had uh, the touchdown there receiving for the Broncos. I, I do have to mention Vic Fangio, longtime defensive coordinator, really good defensive coach. He's down on the sideline 
and he's always been up in the booth. And I wonder if it's just going to take him a little bit of time to settle in there as an NFL head coach now. But the one thing I will say that as soon as I saw the teams take the field Monday night, I saw Vic Fangio wearing that fanny pack and I was like, oh, no, put all the money on the Raiders because that's just not <laughs> no, not going to work. I don't have much to add to that, but that's not a good look. You're right. Stay in the booth if you're going to wear that. What does he have in there? What does he need in the, during the course of a game? Is going to clip his fingernails or something? Like what? Come on, right. lose the fanny no, pack. I, I and, don't know. What's... Yeah, I want to. <laughs> I want to see a defensive mentality from uh, Vic Fangio there on the sideline. Yeah, he needs a his get back guy or one of the dudes that holds the cord or yeah. whatever to handle his. You know, yeah. hold on to his stuff. Let yeah. the get back guy hold the fanny pack. That's a that's a great <laughs> right. rule. Absolutely. All right, we're out of time here, Matt. Good stuff. We will be back tomorrow with a little mailbag segment, a Twitter Wednesday episode right here, Locked on NFL.